One day, long ago, Jesus promised that rivers of living water would flow from those who believed in him. Living water moves. It can't be still. It rushes and rises with the tides and is beyond our control. It can feel overwhelming. But the rising tide is exactly where we have been called. And we follow the one to whom all things belong. His finger traced the winding paths of rivers. He calls forth water from the rock, streams, flowing down from the mountains. It is rushing, racing, this water that flows from him. This living water flows from us as well to a desperate world. The tide is rising because he has called it to do so, and he is calling us to rise with it. All right, who can get excited about that? Good morning. My name is Adam Martin. I'm excited to be with you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online or maybe from one of our campuses, especially our McClellanville campus today, because I don't know if you know, but our McClellanville campus pastor, Heath Caldwell, got married yesterday. So excited for him. Show some love and congratulate Heath and Sarah, who are probably not watching the message today. It's all right. Listen, we don't normally wear hats when we preach, but I had a little uh, surfing accident, so can you handle it, or is it too gross? Not too bad? We're good? All right. I also got some stitches from the incident, but I can't show you where those are. I can give you a hint, though. So these are the board shorts I was wearing. This is the front, and this is the back. So to the guy that ditched his board and nearly took my head off, you owe me some board shorts. So let me ask you a question before we get started. How many of you here in all of our campuses have been at a Seacoast campus for less than 12 months? Anybody? Yeah, look at all those hands. Let's show some love and welcome these folks. We're glad you're here. And listen, whether you have been here a few weeks, a few months, or today is your very first day at a Seacoast campus, the easiest way for you to get to know us and to give us an opportunity to get to know you is to join us for the inside track. Uh, next week, across all of our campuses, we're going to make some space for you to meet our team and learn what it would look like to take another step here at Seco. So we invite you to come. We hope you'll join us. It's going to be a great thing. I also want to celebrate something with you. Last week, across all of our campuses, we offered baptism, and 261 people were baptized. It's amazing. Congrats to all of you who decided to take that step and publicly declare your faith. We are with you in it. Let us help you. And thanks to all our staff and volunteers who made it possible. All right. So if you were with us last week, then you know we kicked off a brand new series called The Tide is Rising. It's a series that is going to focus on how God intends to do more in our lives and in our church. And this is something that Pastor Josh has had our team praying about for the last nine months, like it's been in us that long. We believe God is going to lift something 
in our church, and in our lives. And so we're doing this series to help prepare us for all of the different ways in which he wants to challenge and transform and bless us. And as we continue that today, we're eventually going to make our way to an Old Testament book called Ezekiel, where we see a picture of a stream and then a river and eventually the Dead Sea. And Dana and I had a chance to visit the Dead Sea a few years ago when we were in Israel. And the reason they call it that is, is because it's almost completely devoid of life. Like it, it sits more than 400 feet below sea level. The high salt concentration means that almost nothing can live in it except bacteria and fungi. Sounds super refreshing, right? Yeah, but you'd never know it. You'd never know it if you visited it because there are parts of it that are really beautiful. So much so that it's become a huge attraction for tourists. Like take a look. This is people float in it. They swim in it. They read the newspaper in it. Like it's all it's become the water park of the desert. You can go there and rent a beach towel and a locker. You can pay money to swim in the bacteria. Now, because I'm a sensible human being, I did not swim in the Dead Sea, but I did put my feet in it for just a couple of minutes. And when I did, someone on our team snapped a picture. And this might explain some of the bacteria I have a great team here at Seacoast, always got jokes. <laughs> so like I said, the series is called The Tide is Rising. And the verse that comes to mind as I've thought about it is from Isaiah 43, where Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, to be fair, a stream in the wilderness, that doesn't sound like a big deal to us. We've seen that a dozen times at least. But that word wilderness translates in Hebrew as desert, and a stream in the desert was everything. That was a huge deal. And this is why water presented such a huge picture, a powerful picture in, in the Bible, because it, it's something that was just so, it was rare. But it's, there were times when it signified judgment like with the flood or with when it overtook Pharaoh's army and then there were times more times most often it signified blessing and hope and renewal like it does here and this language in Isaiah would later become a vision for a young prophet named Ezekiel now Ezekiel was a prophet in Israel during a time of great chaos and confusion and the reason for the chaos and confusion is that it, it, Israel had just kind of abandoned God. And when I say abandoned God, it was even more subtle and dangerous than that. It wasn't that they had rejected God altogether. It was that they had begun to worship other things alongside God. And we need to know that this is still the devil's strategy today. He is not trying to get the church to abandon God. He's trying to get us to believe that we need other things in addition to God to be truly happy. It might be God and, you know, a career, maybe that new career, or maybe it's God and that new relationship or, or that old relationship, or maybe it's God and that kind of family or God and that kind of financial prosperity could be any number of things, but Israel fell for these lies and over and over again, they learn the hard way that happiness cannot be found through God and happiness can only be found through God alone. That's how it works. That's how we were designed to work. 
But every time Israel let this happen, they found themselves in chaos and confusion. And what's important for us to see here is that chaos and confusion were not part of God's original design. When you read the creation accounts, you don't see them. They're not there. What you do see is order and peace, which means that all it takes for chaos and confusion to emerge in our lives is for people to reject the authority of God. We have forgotten who we are. I believe this is why our culture is so chaotic and confused today. We've forgotten who we were meant to be. But most of all, our culture has forgotten that it's God alone who can satisfy us completely. This is where the nation of Israel was. Life was chaotic. It was confusing. And they had been exiled to Babylon. And it was Ezekiel's job to call the people back to God and to prepare him for that job. An angel who's called the man in the, in the text. So I just want you to connect that. Gives Ezekiel several visions. And one of them occurs in chapter 47. Where it says this. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. And then the man took Ezekiel and he led him with a, a measuring line in his hand. They walked about a quarter mile and the water was ankle deep. They walked another quarter mile and the water was knee deep. Another quarter mile and the water was waist deep. And then a final quarter mile and it was over his head. It was deep enough for Ezekiel to swim in it. Basically every quarter mile the depth of the water doubled. Then the text says, he led me back to the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arab where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the water flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglaim, and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Now I started studying this passage mid to early August or so. And the more I looked at it, the more I liked it for the series, because I believe it forces us to think about three things. It forces us to think about the source of rising water, the power of rising water, and the purpose of rising water. And that's going to be our outline for today. So as we look at the passage, the source of rising water becomes clear pretty quickly. Verse one tells us that there was water coming from under the foundation of the temple. Now to give some context here, the temple in first century Judaism, this was a place where it was believed God allowed his presence to reside. This is a big deal. In fact, the Jewish people didn't even call the temple the temple. They called it the Mishka or the dwelling, the dwelling place of God. This is why the Jews had such a reverent posture towards the temple. And the text says specifically that the water was flowing from the foundation on the south side. Now, sometimes you wonder why the biblical writers give you certain details, but hold on to that one for a second because it'll be important. 
In verse two, it says, he, the angel, then brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside to the outer gate facing east. That's a mouthful, uh, it, it, just a bunch of details that you think aren't important. But then the, after that, it says, and the water was trickling from the south side. Let's create a picture here to make it simple. Let's say that this podium represents the temple. Now, obviously, the temple is much bigger than this. But from my vantage point, that makes this the south side. That makes your side the north side. This will be the west side, and this is the east side, okay? And what Ezekiel is shown here is that water is trickling from the south side and flowing east. Seems like kind of unimportant information at first, but then he leads Ezekiel over to the north side. Now, why? Why the tour? Ezekiel was a Jewish man. He was familiar with the temple. He didn't need a tour. He showed him that the water was trickling from the south and flowing east, and then he walked him around to the north side, not to show him something that was there, but to show him something that was not there. He wanted to show him there was no source of water flowing from the north underneath the temple and then off to the south. He wanted to show Ezekiel that the water's only source was the temple, the place where God's presence dwelled. The source was God alone, nothing else. He wanted Ezekiel to know, and it's important that we know, that the source of all healing and hope and renewal in this life, which is so often what water represents in, the, in both Testaments, has only one source, God alone. What's interesting also about this situation is that it's a little bit backwards. Like, I mean, think about it. How many of you ever had a, a leak in your home? Anybody? Not a great situation, yeah? Yeah, but where is the water flow the strongest? Is it closer to the leak or further away? It's closest, right? The closer you are to the origin of the leak, the stronger the water flow. But here, the water's trickling from underneath the temple, and a mile away, it's six feet deep. So what's going on there? Well, the angel is showing Ezekiel a picture of the kingdom of God. He's showing him what the kingdom of God would become over time. That what began as a trickle would become a river of water that brings life wherever it flows. That what began through an unknown, obscure Jewish carpenter would become a community of redeemed people who would flow into every part of this world, bringing hope and life to the empty and lifeless. The angel is showing Ezekiel that while the kingdom of God would begin through one seemingly insignificant person, it would become an unstoppable force that brings hope and healing all over this world. How, how many of you want a little more hope and healing in your life? Anybody? Yeah, sign me up. Anybody want some peace, some joy? Right, we all want that. Well, the angel is showing us here that they all have the same source. One source, God alone. They flow from the presence of God in the person of Jesus. We can spend our entire lives looking for these things apart from God. And until we look to him, all we will ever find are the counterfeit versions that leave us frustrated. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us joy and happiness apart from himself because they are not there. I know I've shared that with you before, but it's important that we remember how hard it can be for us to admit that we are limited in our own capacity to find and produce 
lasting joy in this life. But I want to encourage you with this. A.W. Tozer says how completely satisfying it is to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Just as the source of rising water in Ezekiel's vision was the temple, the place where God's presence dwelled, so the source of our hope and our joy and our peace in this life is also God himself. It's God alone. So the source of the rising water here is God himself. But let's talk about the power of the rising water for a minute. How many of you know that rising water has the power to change things? Anybody know that? If you've ever been in a flood or a hurricane, then you know what I'm talking about. Many of you will remember Hurricane Hugo that ripped through the Charleston area back in the late 80s. In fact, this week, ironically, marks the 33rd anniversary of that storm. And if you walk around downtown Charleston today, you can still find shops and restaurants that have signs outside their buildings that show a high water mark from that storm. You see, when that storm came through, the rising water that came with it, it moved some things. Let me show you what I'm talking about. It moved some homes. It moved some cars and some boats. It moved some bridges off their foundations. And this is why rising water can be a little bit scary for us. It has the power to move things around. But what if? What if there are things in our lives that need to be moved around? What if, in order for us to experience the freedom and the abundant life that Jesus promises, there are some things in our lives that will first need to be moved around? Let me explain what I'm talking about. How many of you, when you were learning to drive, you took driver's ed with an instructor who had a brake pedal on their side of the car? Anybody? Yeah. So to give you a picture, it was a normal car. Everything over here worked the same. But over here, the instructor had his own brake pedal. So if you started to do something crazy, he could slam on the brakes, right? And I, when, when I was in high school, we all had to take driver's education. It was a required course. For all of us. In fact, it was a split course. The first semester, we took driver's ed. The second semester, we all took sex ed, which was called general health. But if they conveyed any general health information, it was forgotten. We recall some specific things they talked about, though. I will, I will say that. But back to the driver's ed, we were put in groups of three. One of us drove, the instructor instructed, and then two of us sat in the back seat observing. Now, observing in the high school language, translates as judging. That's what was really happening, right? The two in the back seat were there to judge and then report back to the rest of the class how poorly you drove. And I will always remember learning to drive with Kelly Jeffries. Now, I have changed her name to protect her. We'll just call her Kelly Jeffries. But Kelly was a cheerleader. She was very smart, super nice, but a terrible driver. Like, you ever met those kind of people who have tons of book smarts, but they just don't have a lot of common sense? Like, this was Kelly. Driving came difficult for her. And so whenever she would get into the car and put the car into gear during driver's ed, it was terrifying. Like, you could feel our instructor's blood pressure start to go up. 
And in the back seat, we were looking for things to hold on to, the handle, the door, each other's hands. It didn't matter. We just wanted something to hold on to. It was so bad that when Kelly would drive, the instructor would radio to the other instructors to clear the course. <laughs> Which always made me think, like, if it's not safe for them to be on the course, why do I have to be in the back seat? Let me out of the car. But thankfully, we all survived driver's ed with Kelly Jeffries. There was, however, a part of the fence surrounding the baseball field that did not make it. She mowed it down completely one day. Despite our instructor's best efforts to use his brake pedal, didn't work. Got it, got it down. But here's why, I'll say this, I hope Kelly has gone on to make tons of money in her life and can afford a personal chauffeur. But if she has not, then may God have mercy on those of you who share her commute. Here's, here's why I share it with you. Sometimes we treat our lives like a car that we're driving. And when we give our lives to God, we sometimes treat God like he's a student driver. And as soon as he starts to take us somewhere that we're not totally comfortable with, we slam on the brakes from our side of the car. You know, maybe he nudges you to forgive somebody. You slam on the brakes because he must not understand how deeply that person hurt you. Or maybe he leads you to put someone else first, slam on the brakes. How am I ever supposed to get ahead if I'm always promoting someone else? Or he shows you what it looks like to be generous and leads you to tithe. You slam on the brakes because, come on, that's not reasonable to give away 10% of your money, is it? Or he shows you what it looks like to be sexually pure and live a biblical lifestyle that way and slam on the brakes. Look for the emergency brake on that one because it's just not practical in today's culture, is it? Here's where the analogy breaks down for us, though. We are not dealing with a student driver. We can trust him to drive. And the reason we can trust him is because he knows where the road is going in a way that we never will. That doesn't mean that it won't be a little bit scary for us to hand him the keys. It's the same kind of fear we feel in the face of rising water. We know that as the water rises and the power of that water increases, our power to stop it decreases. This is what makes us a little bit nervous about God. What if he calls me to let go of something that I'm not ready to let go of? What if he leads me to step into something that I'm not ready to step into? What if those are the very decisions that will mark the beginning of freedom in your life? Now, I know that this can be a little bit overwhelming, so let me share with you something that's personally given me a lot of encouragement. Something that's true for you and it's true for the people that you love. In Philippians 1, we see a good news, bad news situation. Paul is writing to a group of people that he cared about deeply. It was a, it's, it's a church in what is today modern-day Greece, and he had been a part of their faith from the beginning. And after telling them how much he cared about them, he wrote this, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Did you catch it? That he who began a good work in you will finish it 
The good news here is that God intends to finish everything he has started in us. The bad news here is that God intends to finish everything he has started in us. He is never going to quit pursuing us because that's what a good father does. He is never going to quit transforming us because that's how we'll experience the abundant life that he promises. In the mid-1800s, there was a Scottish man named William Patton Mackey. And right before he left for college, his mother gave him a Bible. In it, she wrote her name and then his name and then a verse that she had taught him as a child. And sadly, after leaving for college, he almost immediately walked away from God started living for himself, his desires, his pleasures, his success. And eventually needing money to support the lifestyle he had chosen, he decided to sell the Bible that his mother had given him to a local pawn shop. Years later, after finishing college and then medical school, William went on and became a doctor. And one day, an accident victim was brought into the hospital and put under Dr. Mackey's care. And after assessing the patient and determining they could not save his life, Dr. Mackey asked the patient if they could contact anyone for him. The patient struggled to get the words out, but said he wanted them to contact his landlord so that she could bring him his book. So they did. And the book was brought to the patient who later passed away. And after the patient passed away, Dr. Mackey went to one of the nurses and asked about the book. He wanted to know why it was so important to the man. And the nurse said she didn't know, but it was still under his pillow if he wanted to grab it, take a look. So he walked over and he grabbed, the, he grabbed the book and pulled it out and realized quickly it was a Bible. But it was no ordinary Bible. This was the very Bible that his mother had given him. He opened it up and he saw his name and her name and the verse that she had taught him as a boy. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He took the book back to his office, put his head in his hands, and immediately realized that after all these years, though he had not pursued God, that God had been pursuing him after all these years. So he fell to his knees and prayed that God would have mercy on him. And after surrendering his life to God that day, it wasn't long before William left medicine to become a pastor and then a well-known hymn writer. You see, when God starts something, he intends to finish it. He intends to finish that work in you. He intends to finish that work in our children. He loves us far too much to quit. So now that we understand that the water had its only source in God alone, and this water has the power to transform things, we can talk about the purpose of rising water. Now, what's the purpose of the rising water in Ezekiel 47? And what's the purpose of rising water in our lives? Well, remember what the water did when it entered the Dead Sea. The text says, when it emptied into the sea, the salty water became fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the water flows, so much so that fishermen could catch fish from the banks of the river. And the trees that lined the banks, they produced fruit for food and leaves 
for medicine. And I, I want you to notice the tree's response to the water. And I want you to notice the living creature's response to the water. They did exactly what they were designed to do. They came alive. The purpose of the water was to make things thrive. And the purpose hasn't changed today. This vision was meant to give Ezekiel a picture of what could happen if the people of God opened themselves up to the presence of God. For some, that might look like stepping into the water for the very first time, ankle deep. For others, it might look like pushing out a little bit deeper until you're swept up in a current that was stronger than you ever imagined. But no matter what your experience, no matter where you are in your faith, this passage shows us that we can all go a little bit deeper, which again is what makes this a bit scary. Because now we're starting to knock on the door of a complicated concept within the Christian life. And that's the idea of surrender. We don't like the idea of surrender. In our Western minds, we don't even like the word surrender. Because it implies we're going to have to lose something. But in our faith, surrender is the pathway to gaining something we can never lose. In fact, Jim Elliott says it like this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We will have to be willing to step in the water into the presence of God if we want to thrive. It's the only way it works. If we want to thrive, we have to surrender. And knowing that water has the power to move some things around in us, I know it can be scary, and I'll be the first to admit that. There have been moments in me and Dana's lives together that have been overwhelming as we've watched the water rise around us. It's just been an overwhelming season for Dana and I. In fact, something very recent. And, and those are the moments when you find yourself crying out to God, going, hey, God, are you watering me? Like, are you bringing me to life, or are you drowning me? Because I can't tell. And it's been those seasons where I've sensed God saying back to me, yes. <laughs> because sometimes it's both. Sometimes there have been things he wanted to grow in me. And sometimes things he's wanted to put to death. And so often in those seasons, my prayers have felt like shouts. Sometimes not even very polite shouts to God, asking him to please change my circumstances. And I do want you to know that God's excited to listen to your prayer, even when it sounds like a shout. But it was probably similar to how the disciples felt when Jesus was asleep in the boat and a violent storm came up around them. And in panic, they woke him up saying, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus got up and quieted the wind and the waves, and then he looked at them and asked, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Can you still not trust me with your life? You see, what they learned in that moment was something that so many of us struggle to learn over a lifetime. We tend to think our peace can only come through a change in our circumstances. 
What he showed us here is that peace does not come from finding a lake without storms. Peace comes from having Jesus in the boat. You see, learning to thrive in storms has a lot less to do with your circumstances and a lot more to do with who's in the storm with you. And no matter how deep or intimidating the water, the promise that we can all hold on to comes from the second part of verse 9 where it says, so where the river flows, everything, say everything, everything will live. But if we want to thrive, if we want to come alive, then we will have to surrender and get in the water. And that's my encouragement for you today. Get in the water. Take a step and commit to putting yourself in God's presence so regularly that it moves some things in you. And if that's something you're already doing, great. Push out a little deeper. Some of you might be thinking, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, how about just starting a conversation with him? In fact, last week, we announced that every day, because of this series that we're launching, every day, for however long we decide God's telling us to do it, we're going to pray at 3.20 in the afternoon. We're doing it at 3.20 because of Ephesians 3.20, which is how we close every service here at Seacoast. But at 3.20, we're all going to pause, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to continue his work in us and in this church. Might be a minute of prayer, might be 10 minutes of prayer. It's up to you. If you want a reminder, text prayer to 320-320. We'll text you every day. If you don't want to do that, just set an alarm in your phone. Listen, I realize the presence of God has the power to move some things around in our lives but I believe we can trust him with that process. Because whenever God has allowed me to face the deeper water of difficult circumstances, he has used those seasons to move some things around that always made life a bit better. Doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean I didn't argue with him about it. There were seasons when he agreed to change my circumstances. And there were seasons when he did not change my circumstances. But I am grateful for both because he's used all of those seasons to change me. He has been using them to finish what he started. Listen, we believe the tide is rising in our church. We believe he's going to lift our faith and our hope and our confidence. We're already beginning to see it. But as it does, the rising water may be a little overwhelming for us. And maybe it should be. Because if, like this passage in Ezekiel, the rising water represents the presence of the one true God, then by his grace, we will never be the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for courage. We thank you that you are committed to finishing what, we, what you have started. We ask that you would give us the courage 
to lean into it, to get in the water, to trust you when the water rises and when it starts to move things. We believe that your promised intention to us is to experience freedom and abundant life in this life as well as the next. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, for the next few minutes, we're going to give you guys a chance to respond using two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do with that? And if you've never experienced response time here at Seacoast, here's how it's going to work. This is what it'll look like. You'll see some people getting up, moving around. Some are going to go light a candle. Some are going to go to a cross. Some might get prayer. Some are going to get communion. But all of it is intended to help you answer those two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? For some of you, it's time to step in the water. Or maybe it's time to push out a little bit deeper. If that's you, I want to encourage you today to go to a cross. I want you to write down two things. One, I want you just to tell God that you're ready. You're ready to get in the water or to go a little deeper. And then I want you to write down the name of the person that you will reach out to to ask for help. Because we can't do that alone. For some of you, if you've heard, as you've heard the message today, you can't stop thinking about someone you love. You so desperately want God to finish what he has started in them so that they might experience the abundant life that comes from God alone. And if that's you, I'd encourage you today, go light a candle, pray for them. But don't let that stop today. Let today be the beginning of a commitment where you will pull down heaven every day on their behalf. Some of you want God to finish what he started in you. You're ready for him to move some things around, even if it's a little bit scary. If that's you, I'd encourage you to come and have someone from our prayer team pray over you. Let's ask God to make the water rise, to bring an increase of his presence that brings with it the freedom that only he can give. I also want to invite you to come and celebrate communion giving thanks that Jesus would allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we could be free from sin. You don't have to be a member of Seacoast, just a member of the body of Christ, but come. And finally, let's respond together today by giving generously and by worshiping together the only God who has the power and authority to move some things in us. Let's respond together.